I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarencillian is going to make you a super human being. Ah, welcome back from a break. We've had the holiday. We've had the world continuing to crumble around us. My mental stability has followed suit. Uh, I am Mike McPadden. This is Crackpot Cinema. I have no idea what episode this is. Do you, Aaron? You know, I want to say, could this be 18? I feel like I feel like last time we uh, said she's right. just... I, mean, I think this might be 18. Son of a bitch, man. Barely the, legal, this crackpot. <laughs> What'd you do on your 18th birthday? Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. You know, I, I, I got to say, I honestly don't remember. Do you remember your 18th yes. birthday? Uh, I was getting ready to go to college. I had just lost 100 pounds. Nice. Um, I read the book uh, Less Than Zero by Brett Easton Ellis. Was so flipped out by it, I read it again twice in two days. Wow. And the night of my birthday, I went to see by myself in uh, Middletown, New Jersey, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. Wow, that's I a could great not birthday! Believe how great it was. Yeah, oh, yeah I, that's a great I was birthday. Very, very uh, lonely, but but very, very happy at the time. Uh, so yeah, I so moved out. Is, I moved out <laughs> my parents' were, house when I turned well, eighteen. Yeah, Jesus I remember Christ, that. Really, I didn't move yeah. out until I was twenty one, twenty two, twenty two. Oh Jesus. yeah, yeah. Good for you, man. I was barely holding on. My dad said, I'm going to kick you out unless you get a job. You know, that sort of So I went to Kentucky Fried Chicken in Kentucky. (laughs) This really happened. Yeah, this really happened. That was when I was 16. I did not know this. He threatened to kick me out at 16 if I didn't get a job. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Wow. So we, uh, this is a movie related podcast that Aaron and I do. (laughs) Uh, you know what, Mike? You're talking yeah. about the world crumbling and your mental yeah. state deteriorating. Yeah. Hey, the magic of the movies, my friend. There's one thing <laughs> to rely true. on. The magic yeah. of how, Hooray how for Hollywood. <laughs> Hooray for Hollywood. Tinseltown. Yeah, you won't believe the it. The bright lights. Luck. You might be stars. Duck. Yeah, swimming Take pools. your baby to the movies. Uh, Come on. Let's all go to the <laughs> lobby. <laughs> Ah, yes. You know, my wife is encouraging me to do more of these podcasts because she says it's my antidepressants. There you and go. I, I think you're right. I think there she's right. Um, and by so, the yeah. way, I'm I'm Aaron Lee. I should introduce myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I write. I wrote some books. Uh, I wrote uh, Teen Movie Hell and uh, Heavy Metal Movies. What do you do, Aaron? I read those books. I love Thank them. You. I still read them. Still break them out from time to time. And I... Uh, write for TV shows like Family Guy and Superstore and stuff like that. In Hollywood. That's right. Hollywood. See? Man, there we go. It's working. See how it cheers you up? Pandemic. Fantastic. That's what I said. Come on. That's right. Pansexual is what it is. Sure. Let's go. Yeah, baby. Let's go. This is our Ennio Morricone tribute this week. Il Maestro. Il Maestro. As, as Il people maestro. like to be gross and say, Il Maestro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Any more, Coney? That is, that is the saddest part. Arrivederci. Arrivederci, yes. Il Maestro. Yes. Il maestro. 
to the great yes. Ennio Morricone. One, I mean, one of my, I mean, amazing, one of my all-time favorites, Mike. Obsessed with him for a long oh, yeah. time. Oh, you were obsessed with him when I when I first met you in 1993. Yeah. Well, very much so because of my best buddy Noel back home, my who I've known since seventh grade. You know, who uh, was my best movie buddy, who was. Uh, as I, yeah, I met him when we were teenagers, and he was obsessed with Clint Eastwood and especially the Leone movies. Right. And um, and we started watching them early. Uh, Noel flew out to Los Angeles. I want to say like six years ago, we got tickets to see Morricone at the Hollywood Bowl, and he was going to perform with the whole orchestra. Yeah. And Morricone canceled, got sick, and canceled. It was very wow. very disappointing. And then uh, maybe like a year later, rescheduled, bought my tickets, got a rego to the Hollywood Bowl, canceled. Because Morricone, you know, he was 100 yeah. years old. He wasn't and getting wasn't on a it, plane. Wasn't that like presented by Morrissey, who also cancels constantly? Ooh. When not well, being canceled? Oh, that's interesting. Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, Morricone did a, a song with Morrissey around that time. So uh, right. an amazing song. Or actually, maybe like, I think he did actually like two or three songs in that album. Um uh, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the album, but but anyways, that would make sense. That would make sense if it was with Morrissey. I think I, I somehow remember that that like the way like uh, Morrissey had become Sparks' sponsor in uh, right. London with those concerts. He he was bringing Morricone to Los Angeles. You imagine the two of them hanging out, oh. saying, "You like you, you you can't you can't get Morricone to eat vegetarian." I don't think. <laughs> I imagine not. Hey, fuck you! I'm gonna eat a meatball. <laughs> Please. Fuck you, man. I'm so, Marconi. Uh, so that so so Il Maestro died, and uh, you know, I mean, he was in his nineties, uh, prolific AF, as it's said these days. Five hundred and nineteen composer credits on the IMDb. Wow. I then realized that a bunch of those were just from people go, you know, using. <laughs> oh sure, right, yeah, yeah. But, but, it, but really, yeah. I mean, you know, not more than two hundred of them. So, and really, the shocking thing is, really, all good. Like no joke. Like as no, like I a agree. soundtrack yeah. nerd, yeah. you you really can't go wrong with him. No. And I've gone through no. all sorts of different phases. Right. I I had all the albums of his kind of lounge cocktail pop stuff. He uh, right. the western stuff, of course, the Jallos, yeah. the um. There's one great double record that that Mike Patton, the Faith No More right, ex right. guy, put I, together. I saw of, him. He wrote on social media this week, "Arrivederci, Il Maestro." Oh, I love yes. that guy, and he He's put great. together an amazing yeah. double album of just Morricone's weird shit, his like yeah. abstract, you know, freak out stuff. Um, We've talked about Mike Patton as our Zappa. He really yeah. is like our Frank Zappa. Yeah, he yeah. really is. Yes, he really is. I remember his Mondo Cane album where he sang oh. Italian mu so movie music with an orchestra. He, yeah. And did the song Deep Down from the, the Morricone song Deep Down from the Danger Diabolic soundtrack. Yeah. The Christie. One of my absolute favorite soundtracks of his. Um what what was your what was your experience like with the the spaghetti westerns and, and Morricone? So when do you remember becoming conscious of uh, well, it's my entire life because of uh, Clint Eastwood, the image of the man with no name, and those movies were very popular on television when I was a kid, and those posters were certainly popular in every filthy animal's apartment that we That's had. That's <laughs> um, I think, you know, the first one, I my mother did not want me to watch uh, Hang 'Em High, so oh, I watched wow. it anyway, and I loved it. 
and that was sort of my way into that um and that was i was a little kid back then um you know but i mean that you know the music cue is second only to you know also sprock zarathustra from uh 2001 in terms of go-to uh classic you know uh, orchestral music uh cues that we all know now um yeah didn't become like intellectually obsessed with them until you went through a 90s i'm i can only watch spaghetti western things i mean it's it's been it's weird it took it it hit me so hard and it's really never ended um like yeah it's funny i never really say this when you and i talk about movies but it might be my favorite genre it might be the it might be the single genre i've spent the most time watching and it was and it really kicked in not just because of Noel, but in the '90s when I got here, the old American Cinematheque, right. which was which was so great, just in a screening room in the Raleigh Studio Center, they did an amazing week of, or maybe two weeks of spaghetti western double bills every night, and it was all was all Death Rides a Horse and all shit I'd never seen before, and um, and then I remember I gotta say maybe one of the most intense movie experiences of my life was the first time I saw. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly in a theater at the New Beverly yeah. that same time because it was playing just like a week later. And, uh, and man, I, I, I remember there's only two times in my life I ever literally with no substances felt high watching a movie. One was Star Wars as a kid, like sure. age five or six. Yeah. And the other was that screening of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Yeah. So much so because of the soundtrack, which is just... Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, obviously one of the all-time greats, but but it just it builds and builds, and then you get to the ecstasy of gold, and it's the greatest right. fucking thing ever recorded, ever. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's amazing. I'll tell you a weird Morricone. I just thought of this: a weird Morricone-related movie high that didn't last. But I saw a movie, and our engineer Ben will make fun of me for remembering this. <laughs> um, that blew my mind when I saw it in the theater. Like, and I kept saying, "This is like Star Wars. This is like when I was eight. This is... I saw the Untouchables, the Brian De Palma yeah. Untouchables. Oh and yeah, and I was like, "This is this is a new door into a cinema dimension we have not uh, experienced yet." And then I saw it like a couple days later, and it was like, oh, "It was all right. It didn't last." <laughs> yeah. I, I... <laughs> Yo, hang on. I was at a party, <laughs> somebody's apartment. I don't know. I think. Engineer Ben, everybody. I think it was ben John Tell's yeah. girlfriend at the time was having some kind of party in some. She had like a loft in Manhattan, and and you walked in the oh, door. Oh yes, yeah. Right. And that's basically the first thing you said. You said, "I've seen the Star Wars for our generation, and it is the Untouchables." Thank you, Ben Reiser, my co-host on seventy movies we saw in the seventies. So. <laughs> Be- being on that De Palma kick, though, right now that I am, I, I like obsessively watching De Palma stuff. I get it because. I, especially that first time you see any of his movies, yeah, yeah. it's a it's a real high. He really, yeah. they're. Just, I just I just rewatched Carlito's Way, which is a silly movie, and I remember seeing it in the theater and going, "This is so silly." And now it's just it's just nonstop pleasure, beginning to end. Everything that's, that's over the top. That is, that's my experience of of his movies as well. The stuff that I really thought, like, you know, this is stupid. Yeah, just uh, and so that's a perfect fun example. now. Yeah. Oh yes, my totally. god, yeah. so fun. Yeah. We didn't know like how blessed we were to have filmmakers back when we had films. I know. Oh my <laughs> god, really it's the truth. I, mean, I remember being like annoyed by Robert Altman all the time. It's like, God, what would you do to have a Robert Altman in working in the <laughs> movies today yeah it's true 
Yeah, it's but, really strong. Um, so yeah, so so that was a Morricone score, and uh, so and then yeah, no. Once you were into, once you had that uh, Cinematheque experience, I rem- uh, If you remember, I bought like thousands of VHS tapes from the video stores that were closing. Oh right. And that one apartment, I had an entire wall. Like it was freaky how many I had. Right. And then I just got rid of all of them eventually because they were just too big and huge. I, I <laughs> sort of wish I had them now, but there was no way I could have carried them around anymore. But then right. I started watching a lot of spaghetti westerns and falling in love with them. Yeah, I always think about that because, you know, I basically I managed a video store in Lexington, right. Lexington, Kentucky. And when I moved to L.A., moved out with li- probably literally like a thousand VHS tapes. Or I, two remember, th- I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And just left them all in an apartment when I had to move. When I like too lazy <laughs> to box them up. Like, Fuck you. That's what yeah, I did. Yeah. What yeah. I did was I, I when I was moving, I put them out on the street and I watched people freak out and take them. Oh, uh, what I, a time. And then I, I like to tell that to video collectors. Like when I, I tell Alan McDonnell, who's going to guest with us soon, that I took all my old punk records right before I moved to Chicago that were in my mother's house, and I dropped them off outside a, a used record store, and I said, here you go. You know like, you should have done, Mike? Just take it. Yeah. You should have shit all over him like the magic Christian. Put it, <laughs> put him out there with shit all over And just go, yeah, you oh. got to take him, huh? And I should have said, hey, if you want it, here it is. <laughs> here it is. Come and get it. Come and get it. <laughs> That would show him, uh, you know. And it show was, the world. And it was Don's music who then like freakishly opened up in Eagle Rock near where you live in Peter Landau lived. Uh, oh, I remember Don's music. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, yes. he was in Carroll Gardens, and then he was, and then I was in L.A. and it was like, he's like, oh yeah, there's Don from Don's music. I was like, really? And uh, I wow. told him I was the guy, and he was like, oh yeah, I remember that. That was weird. There were just oh. these crates of punk records. Oh, that's so, great. Um. You know, along with like you know Alvin and the Chipmunk records and shit that were there too. So. <laughs> sure, yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, so this is a movie-related podcast. We're talking about any Morricone crackpot <laughs> cinema. And uh, can you uh, remember Aaron the two Morricone movies we have already covered on this show? Uh, Bloodline and um, and uh, the other one was um, oh I can't remember what the other one was. Sahara with Brooke Shields. Oh God! Oh. 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 oh, that was bad, man. Just to think of that Brooke Shields episodes just gives me. I think about it all the time. We watched, uh, we watched five, five fucking movies. horrible movies. Five of the worst movies <laughs> yeah. I've ever seen. I would agree the with most you. Boring, with that assessment, as good bad Lord. as anything I've made it through. Yeah, just torturing ourselves, man. Uh, just yeah. We we the, the the pandemic it's taken it out of it. We can't do that now. We don't no, have the strength. No, Can you imagine that would be a full on? <laughs> we would not live through that. No man, we would not live through that. So um, and it's ironic because you think, oh, now we have all this time, we're locked inside, no. but it's like, nah, no, 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 everybody, no. You actually want to watch good movies now? Yeah, <laughs> you know? or if it's not good, just not torturous. Yes. Oh. Brooke. Like I'll watch, oh. like I'll sit and play like this stupid word puzzle on my iPad, and we'll put on like Love Island, Australia, and watch that for seventeen hours in a row. But sure. I couldn't sit through, you know, Brenda Starr, which I remember oh. being the worst of the Brooke Shields films somehow. Yeah, that was really bad. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, not as torturous this week to watch these two more. No, films. no, not no. nearly as torturous as that. 
Uh, no. Uh, so, you know, we had to consider the movies worthy of the crackpot label. And mm-hmm. I don't know quite how to define what we do on this show. Um, like what? I, you know, people ask what we cover and it's like it's kind of movies between the cracks that are insane. Yeah, there, there's yeah. probably like this is a cliche thing as too, but there, there's probably a little what were they thinking kind yeah, of I you mean, know the, the, that the, is the what two appeals phrases to us. You want to avoid or what were they yes. thinking and how did this get made? Exactly, exactly. But that's exactly yes. what we do. But that's so what appeals to us, <laughs> right. you know. And yeah. and um, and you and I yeah. have a history of doing things like walking around with mohawks and leather jacket and say, "Don't call me a fucking punk rocker." <laughs> yes, but <laughs> but the other thing is like I think when I look at these movies, for the most part it's like a lot of times they are really talented people like yeah. Morricone who casts of really good yeah. people doing something that's not that great right. you know yeah that like that what these are the weird ones that slip through the cracks somehow and, and, and it's through the cracks is important that's that's yes. really what it is so yes uh so the Morricone so the thing is I mean God knows I, I'm not familiar with his literally hundreds of European films so um so in terms of the crackpot, this, this is this is the list that I, I rounded up. When Women Had Tales, mm-hmm. which I have seen, which I, I saw as a result of that VHS tape acquisition in the 90s. I don't um, think pre- I have. Prehistoric sex comedy I first learned of when it uh, it played on at the Route 35 drive-in on the bottom half of the bill with Tarzan the Ape Man in 1981. Wow. With Bo Derek. I, I feel like it's in this... I feel like it's in the original Psychotronic book, too, right? It definitely I feel like is. that's where yeah. I first heard of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the sequel, uh, When Women Lost Their Tales, uh, which I watched oh a little bit of at one point. Um, Duck You Sucker from 1971. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Have You Done to Solange? Oh, the, that's uh, a good one. Man, Jala that's a movie. motherfucker. Yeah. That's a fucked up movie, yeah. Yeah, cause that's why, yeah, because that was one... That became, like, in the early 2000s, Oof. a momentary, like, uh, sensation among horror fans. That movie, it's it's nasty. And, and, uh, and a great score. Oh, my God. That's an, an amazing, amazing score. score. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I worked at that time with this incredibly annoying guy named Phil. And he would just come into your office. And he did this to everybody. And he... Uh, would go through your record, you know, your CDs and your books and just criticize everything and and uh, just tell me how shitty my taste was and stuff. And uh, he, by the way, he was a guy who was into free jazz exclusively, free free jazz, death metal and black metal. Okay. Um, All right. Yeah. So so if like a human being with a soul could possibly listen to or enjoy something, he hated it. Sure. Uh, right. And. um so I had a, I got Solange. I was all excited, and he comes in. Oh, you used to get the mail, so he could open your fucking packages and look at what you ordered. And uh, he comes in. And he goes, huh. he goes. Think about Morricone. He will do any piece of shit. And I was like, Nah, man, this movie's cool. And he just kept doing this. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 the Pillsbury Doughboy? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. did you poke him in the stomach? Playfully, tummy. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It was a little. It was it was another. You know, it was code for fuck you. I was like, no, nah, that's a cool movie, man. It, it's this girls get stabbed. You know where they don't want to get stabbed, and he go. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Where, where's this guy now? Well, let's do a podcast with him. Let's we get him on. We don't want to do that. He's. I uh, know uh, we do. We want him to criticize he, everything we like. Here's the thing. He was like a complete nightmare to talk to. He's actually a talented music writer, and he's written some books and uh, about like Miles Davis and stuff. And uh, okay. Um. I think he runs like a like a, a free jazz website or something. But uh, anyway, uh, so uh, the Antichrist, aka the Tempter, movie oh, we've yeah. talked about, ass yep. licking, yeah, uh, just with a goat. This is just yeah, purely Gross. the uh, goes too far. <laughs> Yuck! Bad, literal <laughs> bad taste licking a goat's ass. Yeah, <laughs> I assume. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, just the the, the, the name alone. Nineteen seventy five's the teenage prostitution racket. Yeah, I remember that title. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, it's a, and it's a weird one because it's kind of I, I think like a straight up Italian polizia that they're how you say it, it like a yeah, yeah right yeah. yes it's not like a sleaze yeah yeah weirdly yeah which is why you and I never tracked it down and watched it I'm sure right. So. But now I would because I love right, those exactly. Italian cop the, movies, man. Dude, oh my so god, goddamn good. That, that is a, that's a genre even more so than spaghetti westerns, where the batting average is like is really good. You get one of those, and you're it's probably going to American black exploitation. You could just yeah. throw one on, and it's just going to kick your ass. Yeah, those are badass. Yeah. Um, uh, Exorcist Two: The Heretic, which was in the running for this week's mm-hmm. episode. Uh, because it's an insane movie, um, and my band, Gays in the Military, used to come on stage to Magic and Ecstasy. Ooh, the main that's theme. a good one too. That's a great From, one. Uh, it's it's that's I mean that's my favorite. Morricone. Yeah. So I'm sorry to be a basic bitch like that, but uh, no, no. I mean that's that's and that's one of my favorite periods of his too. Also, um, oh, is it the Enforcer? The Eastwood theme he did at that time. Yes. That's so incredible. That yeah, yeah. So good. boy, he yeah. started really rocking out at that yeah. in the '70s, man. Yeah. What do you think that was like? Like he was hearing prog rock and like yeah, I do. Goblin. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the Rolling Stones here in the punks and having to yeah, yeah I think yeah. so and having to turn it up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's good shit. Hitchhike with Franco Nero and David Hesch. Ooh, that's a good that's a, that's too sleazy. That's it, a sleazy, unpleasant movie. That'd be no fun to talk about. Yeah. But it is it amazing. Is, it's an amazing film and, and Hess is so good and he's so fucking gross. He's so gross yeah, to yeah. think about, to deal with. Yep. Yeah. Um God, Which I forget is, that Morricone did that. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the Humanoid, which is a sci-fi adventure movie set on the planet Metropolis. This is from awesome. 1979. Uh, okay. It's about a space jockey who gets injected nice. with an experimental formula, turns into an unstoppable killing machine, played by Richard Keel, who will figure prominently yeah. in this episode. Uh, Luna, a film I have definitely seen. Uh, Bernardo Bertolucci's mother-son incest epic with Jill Clayburg. Okay. In a All role right, for which she, she did not uh, shave. Let's just say that. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, Windows, which is a horrible movie uh, that I just watched at the suggestion of uh, Engineer Ben. Um, <laughs> a lesbian stalker who told me, you have to watch this because it is so horrible. Uh, lesbian stalker thriller with Talia Shire and Elizabeth Ashley, directed by Gordon Willis, the great cinematographer. A big celluloid closet movie. I've always wanted to see it. I've never watched it. Oh, it's it. on Amazon and, uh, Prime. I recommend okay. everybody watch it. I'll give it, it a shot. Yeah. 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 That, and I saw that producer, Mike LaBelle, he... he 
did, he also did so fine and uh, right, right. and used yeah. Morricone in both of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to check that out. Uh, Butterfly, which we were going to do, the P is a door movie, but it's very difficult to find a streaming copy of it. So, mm-hmm. or at least you know, in the time we had before, I said, "Hey, let's do Butterfly." Yeah. And then and then White Dog, but like kind of everybody knows about White Dog at this point. So, mm-hmm. what are we going to say about White Dog? Butterfly, you've seen too, right? I haven't I seen it in a long absolutely time. Absolutely. Oh uh, yeah, I mean yeah, I, I saw did, it I once. Saw, yeah, right. Me too. <laughs> yeah, know, on cable. I, yeah, I I rented it, and I probably re re I probably saw a couple of key moments about five times. But yeah, right, yeah. right. Um. And That'd probably be fun to watch now. That's Orson Welles, right? Yes, yes. Man, I like Stacy Keach, who's phenomenal and everything. Orson Welles, and uh, you know, Mushroom uh, Reckless bought her the Golden Globe, which I was you know watching what? that night. And then they went right, and everybody's like, "Who the hell is Pizza Door? And then they went right to a commercial for Butterfly. It's on DVD, so we could do it. Well, we got to do a Pia episode. We do, and you know what we got to do? We got to get yeah. her on the show. I I bet we, we could. Yeah, I, think I don't know. I bet yeah. we could. I bet you we could find a connection to Pia Zadora. I bet you know she what? listens. Okay, I bet she's I'm already a listener. <laughs> I think through uh, Seth MacFarlane's uh, Frank Sinatra's obsession. Okay. Like she's a song and dance lady in Vegas. There you go. Okay, I like that. All I right. bet you. Let's go through the uh, Sinatra okay. network and get to right. Pia Okay. Okay. And then calling, White Dog. Calling Seth immediately. <laughs> White Dog, I saw, uh, I never saw until uh, I moved to Chicago. I saw it at the Music Box Theater, and I, I thought it was a very good movie. Yeah, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. that guy. What are you going to say? Fuller. Yeah, Can't I mean, what are you going to say? Yeah. Yeah, right. So, yeah. uh, so the so the winner, I, I put this up to a vote, and of course, you know, because people are always going to choose fucking horror movies because that's the s- stupid time we live in. But uh, I put up the double feature to our audience to vote on uh, Orca and Exorcist Two, or So Fine and Butterfly. Overwhelmingly, people wanted Orca and Exorcist Two. Um, so. Okay. In our ongoing quest to not give the people what they want <laughs> and to announce something and then do something completely different, uh, we have Orca and So Fine. Um, so, general notes on Orca. Uh, I oh, see- and quickly, yeah. Mike, Please. I just wanted to say, I d- because like the Fred Willard episode, when we do a death, somebody does it, dies, I don't want to do a shit joke to say... Yeah, yeah, if the movie's, you know, <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down. Yeah, yeah, right. I thought about, right. like, Fistful of Duty and stuff, but I was like, right. let's just... Here's my suggestion. We say the movie is either good, bad, or ugly. Okay, In, in tribute. Cool. Okay, perfect. all right. That'll be our because classy tribute best, to the, the maestro. The I could come up with was Morricone or Lessicone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's good, too. I like that, too. <laughs> then I was thinking maestro or maestri, <laughs> and then I couldn't make it shit. Maestro or maestrit, and I was like, that doesn't work. All right, but good, bad, or ugly? Yeah, uh, good, bad. Okay, I'm going to say Orca is good, bad. I'm going to say it's, it's between Ooh. good and bad, if we wow. can do that. So you're, you're giving me, it's part Eastwood, part Van Cleef. Yeah, it's, exactly. it's heroic, but it's, it's also, also evil. But it's also, uh, you know, uh, Tuco. It's also uh, Eli Wallach. You know what? I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go flat out good. I just enjoyed oh, yeah, good. it. Good, I really it. did. I really did. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I, I really loved flat it. Out good. I loved watching. I mean, it. it's yeah. a silly movie. It's a very silly movie. But well and made it's, the whole way yeah, through. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
made by professionals, you know, yeah. good actress, unbelievably terrible and stupid script. Really stupid. <laughs> but even, though, <laughs> I mean, even like, the script, it's the dialogue's not terrible all, all the time. Yeah, there's some pretty terrible dialogue. I mean, like, I, it's just, it's so, well, it, it really. The dialogue is bad, and it does get that way. It's oh, funny. Oh, boy. Does it's it. hilarious. Yes, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yes, but in it's terms fun. of, like, you know, just when they're talking and stuff, I, it was it was good, I thought, you know. Yeah. You know, like when Al Swain, the head of the Fisherman's Union, like everything he said, I was like, well, that's very credible and well-written. Uh, when he's saying, like, you you know, we're superstitious around here. You you, you know, the orca shows up and the, the fish go away. You got to get the hell out of here, man. So, well, anyway. Well, what made me laugh, what really made me laugh was... Of course, the origin of this movie is it's a Dino De Laurentiis production right, right. ripping off Jaws, just like, hey, give yeah. me the, the fish that's scarier than a shark. You, you right. know, the, Which literally went, was what he said to the yes. co-producer and screenwriter, yes. And what did crack me up was the incredible amount of time up top where they did, they basically did what you and I talk about. Uh, Donnie Most on Murder, She Wrote, not playing Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Going like, hey, I'm a crazy heavy metal star who bites the head of bats, and right. I'm the craziest I, thing since Ozzy Osbourne. Since Ozzy Osbourne. You yeah. name check him to let everybody know, yeah, this yeah. is what we're doing. I loved all the dialogue that was like... Uh, the killer whale is even more deadly than the great white shark. It has more teeth, and it bites people more. Yes. Like, a long scenes of scientists constantly going on about how terrifying they're. And the, great, the killer whale loves vengeance. They yes. love yes. vengeance. They're very into vengeance. Yes. And so don't mess with them. So they go to great lengths to say, And you want to talk about Jaws. funny dialogue. Uh Charlotte Rampling is just talking about how brilliant the killer whale is. And she says, you know, this one whale song has 50 million bits of information in it. The Bible <laughs> only has 4 million. So, so <laughs> if, a, if a whale could hear our, like, to our, our language to a whale would be, to use her word, retarded. <laughs> <laughs> that did. Oh, that was funny. I got to tell you, man, we talk about, um, you know, these depressing times. Yes, I have not LOL'd at hardly any movies this year. I did. I did tell you the other night. I watched the new Andy Samberg yeah. vehicle, Palm yeah. Springs, which I really enjoyed and did laugh right. out loud. Watch, I uh, loved it watching. Too. It was really good. But the other mo two moments that made me laugh out loud yeah. this year were the one, the line you just mentioned and the orca having a miscarriage on the boat. <laughs> the, <laughs> the whale fetus popping out of orca and splatting onto the boat. I was dying. Okay, and well, let's get Richard there. Harris trying to wash wash off the deck. I was crying well, laughing. Let's get there. I mean, because I had a different, you know different laughs, reaction. Yeah. See, for me, laughs are hard to come by these days, and I was just, man, that was hilarious. <laughs> so, so let's just talk about Dino De Laurentiis for a minute here. Uh, sure. In the midst of his 70s hot streak. I mean, he was a major figure when we were kids. Yeah. Um, and what was great is, though, even though, like, he produced Fellini and everything, when we, like, as kids, he was, like, a schlockmeister, like, treated that way by the media. Yeah. Even though he was still producing great films at the same time, but... But I guess, yeah, but... but his personality. Kind of, what, what would the modern equivalent be? Like, Michael Bay, like, it kind of, like, we understand eh. this is your shit, like, yeah. action, but, but expensive and, you know, yeah. big budget right. and, uh, and makes money, and makes right. money. right. 
but then, I mean, again, he also like brought you know Fellini, you know, he, everybody, you know. So, so right. uh, this is just a selected filmography of the seventies. Serpico seventy three, Crazy Joe with Peter Boyle as Crazy Joe Gallo. Speaking of which, we have to do an episode on Joe. Sure. Um, Death Wish from seventy four, Buffalo Bill and the Indians, uh, seventy five, and then of course you know King Kong. It all led to King Kong and right the famous dealer at this line. When monkey die, everybody are gonna cry. Right. Uh, when when the, shark when shark die, nobody cry. No shark. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When monkey die, everybody are gonna cry. Yeah. So, um, Mandingo seventy five also. <laughs> the Mandingo sequel, Drum, which I just ordered on Blu-ray. <laughs> Great. That'll be a fun night. Uh, the Serpent's Egg, which is the rare, universally despised Ingmar Bergman film starring which, David which Carradine. Ri- yeah. Which Richard Harris turned down to do Orca and which regretted wisely. it for years. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he regretted yeah. it forever, apparently. Wow. But yeah. Uh, the Shoot is John Wayne's last movie, which is a good movie. Uh and then his other great Jaws ripoff from 77, uh, The White Buffalo with Chuck mm. Bronson. Mm-hmm. Hurricane, a movie that I remember reading about, not seeing play anywhere. And then, you know, Flash Gordon in 1980. And then he, you know, moved on to the 80s. But so that's what Dino De Laurentiis was up to uh, in the midst of when Orca. A fun streak. Out. Yeah, truly. I mean, uh, you know. Guys having fun making, making movies. silly movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But then there's also, you know, Serpico in there. And, uh, yeah. So, um, oh, this is just a funny note I wrote. Uh, two, two things. Watching the credit and, you know, the, the writers and the producers. And my wife, Rachel, said, I call this movie Spaghetti Jaws. <laughs> so that was yeah. good. Yeah, uh, that's good. And then when you search Google for Orca, the first question that comes up is, is Orca based on a true story? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I like that enough yes, people have. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> have shifted the algorithm to put that at the top there. A true so, story of a woman with a cast who had her leg bitten off by a killer whale. Yeah. Bill Moore. And then she was 10. Um, so uh, let's talk. Let's go through the movie itself. So this it opens with this beautiful uh, Morricone score and the theremin, theremin music, weird it, arty expressionistic yes. whale yeah. sounds, and then yeah. goes into this real well, the like, theremin kind of echoing the whale sounds very effectively, and, and then goes into like a cello spaghetti western kind of mashup with guitar, like a really a great score and really a good one for just kind of like greatest hits Morricone. Totally, themed, you know. Yeah. Totally. Like, yes. And and I just gotta quickly say, like, did you, I don't know if you read that New York Times John Zorn did a tribute to Morricone this week and he said no, when he, he 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 said when he met Morricone, Morico and was getting it said it wanted advice he was gonna score his first movie. Morricone said, Stop thinking about the movie. Just think about the soundtrack album. Oh. And 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 this movie was a fascinating case of that for me. Like Morricone's just kinda grooving out doing like a mashup <laughs> yeah. of all his stuff and it works really well yeah. especially with those early scenes you know right right um and then so then we see orca and mrs orca clearly in love they're frolicking yeah. among the other orcas and that goes on and uh you know that's funny and charming watching these whales great especially to that music other. yeah yeah with the music playing um 
And then, you know, as it says in Bambi, man entered the forest. So Richard Harris uh, is on a boat with fisherman Keenan Wynn, Bo Derrick, and Peter Hooten. Uh, and this is, we should say, it's Bo Derrick's big screen debut. Even though she actually shot the movie Fantasies in 1973 when she was 17. But it didn't come out until 1981. That was, of course, written and directed by her husband, John Derrick. Um, and here's an, odd, an amazing bit of trivia. Her boyfriend in the movie is played by um, Peter Hooten, who plays her boyfriend here. Huh. So you wonder crazy. how that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Richard Harris, he definitely was one of those guys who had the reputation for being drunk a lot during shooting, right? I just read a really See, good book called Hellraisers that was about... He's uh, one of that crew, right? Yeah, it was Richard Burton, uh, Richard Harris, Peter O'Toole, and Oliver Reed. And and Richard Burton, every time you see him on screen, you're like, yeah, he's plastered. I didn't really get that feeling here with Harris, did you? I wasn't looking Not at, at him going, no. oh, and this guy's trying to... He looks great. Yeah, absolutely. It, he looks great. I mean, that's the thing. Like, like Burton was a mess. Just a wreck, yeah. Like, after the 60s, he just looked like a disaster. What's interesting in that book, which I definitely recommend, and I'll, I'll link to it on social media, Burton was the realest of the deal. He was the toughest. He was the strongest. He was the craziest. He drank the most. Right. And... um but then you know he was also you know like you know the greatest Shakespearean actor of that era, and he was the most acclaimed. But and then as we know from the Golden Turkey Awards, where he was nominated and won the worst actor of all time, he right. also was the one to go into the craziest movies and give the most over the top, hammy performances. Right. Yeah. But I, I thought it was interesting, and, and he came from a mm-hmm. Welsh mining town. I'm, I'm talking about Richard Burton, who's not in this film. Um, and then Oliver Reed, who looks like, you know, a part man, part Brahma bull. He was like a rich kid. So anyway, that that Burton thing reminds me of one of my favorite lines from when I worked on the Cleveland show where the yes. controversial character of uh, Cleveland confronted Robert, <laughs> confronted Robert De Niro in a bar and said, you stay away from my wife. Great actor and bad actor, Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Did you write that? No, no, that was the great oh. Matt Murray wrote that. I remember when he pitched it, and I laughed very hard. Yeah, that's fantastic. Very, very talented, funny guy. <laughs> so uh, another side note here. Peter Hooten, he played the title role in the 1978 Doctor Strange TV movie. Oh, wow. Which I remember watching five minutes of. Oh, hard to get through, yeah. And then later on, he was in the uh, film 2020 Texas Warriors, a movie I've seen more than once. Post-apocalyptic Italian movie. One of the craziest from 1983. Wow. Um, so Harris, yeah, at, at this point, he was best known um, and was a superstar, actually, from another completely forgotten 70s phenomenon, like Billy Jack, like Walking Tall, a man called Horse. Like a real franchise. A, a real a honest to God franchise. A major phenomenon that inspired all the Italian cannibal movies. Yeah, because first they were imitating a man called Horse, trying to outdo it with its ritual tortures, right? And that among you know the uh, primitive people or the indigenous people, and um, and then they tried to outdo each other, of course. But uh, yeah, the sequel of Return of a Man Called Horse, which was critically acclaimed and a huge hit, came out in '76, so just a year before Orca. And my side note here is: let's do our anti-Western episode on uh, 
with A Man Called Horse and Soldier Blue, which is just about to come out on yeah. Blu-ray from Kino Lorba. That so, sounds great. Yeah, down for that. So, um, so Harris and the crew, they're looking to capture a great white shark, which was the biggest thing on Earth at that point. Uh, they're going to sell it to uh, an aquarium. And uh, so somebody is in the water. One of their crew is, in the, is a scuba diver in the water. And uh, right before uh, the shark is going to attack, uh, Orca shows up and kills the shark <clears throat> heroically. Right. Reminding right. us that the name of the boat in Jaws is Orca, because the Orca right. can kill a great white shark. And that was fun. A fun fuck you Jaws awesome. moment. Great. Yeah, there's, you know? a, there's a little Jaws on the soundtrack, just a little hint. Like, well, oh, here it is. It yeah. is. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, the score in general. I was thinking about these Jaws ripoffs. Is there, there aren't many genres, I feel like, where... The ripoffs are so direct. I, I, I mean, like I have a list of them. We'll go through at the end. Yeah, and they're and and for yeah. whatever reason, it's just it's so exact. And and they and so you do hear Morricone. He does do that John Williams score, right? Um, yeah. And then and it's interesting. I was thinking it's like there's kind of like it almost goes like you go from Bernard Herman to uh, John Williams, right. you know, doing Jaws to this. To Henry Manfredini in the Friday the Thirteenth, like so much of the Morricone stuff in here sounded like the Manfredini yeah. Friday the Thirteenth yeah. soundtracks, you know. Very much, yeah. But a very, very blatant Jaws ripoff. Yeah. So uh, the, the person in the water is Charlotte Rampling, the great uh, actress from The Night Porter and many other films, and uh, she uh, is a scientist. Always delightful. Oh, Always she's delightful. Great. I love her. Rampling. Love Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, she's an orca lover. She knows all about orcas. Um, she, you know, says what she says about <laughs> what orcas would think of our language. Um, <laughs> she, she at one point says orcas are monogamous, and Richard Harris literally does not know the meaning of the word monogamous. <laughs> a reflection of his real life, as I understand it. And uh, here's something interesting. Yeah. She's wrong. They're not. Yeah, I, I read all up. that too. Like They're all not. this shit was made up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. It's wrong. Yeah. Um Yeah, so so Harris hears this, he's like, Oh man, if I if I catch an orca and sell it to like, you know, the Sea World, I'm rich. So then he's hell bent on it. She's like, please don't do that because you're not gonna catch the orca and you're gonna end up like butchering a dozen of them. So he's like, Yeah, sure thing. And so what happened? He goes after and we'll just call our whale Orca. <laughs> and yeah, uh, right. Nick's Orca in the fin fucks him up and then catches Mrs. Orca, who, of course, is pregnant. <laughs> yes. And has a fucking whale abortion really on the boat. A really gross scene. Like, really <laughs> gross. Horrific. For a, for a PG movie, like, blood all over. It's so gross and stupid. The baby is dead. Everybody's yes. screaming. The whales are screaming. Yeah. Harris is trying to hose down the deck. <laughs> He's hosing the baby over the side. And I'm watching this, and I swear. Bo Derek barfs. Bo Derek barfs directly into the camera. Harris slips in the blood. He's, like, trying to get up like Jerry Lewis, and he can't. It's so hard. They're tossing the fetus like a football back and forth. Like, no, you, you, no, you take it. It, it really is gross. It's really gross. But, so I'm watching this, and and this has, as you know, has happened to me several times in my life. I'm like, that's it. I'm going back to being a vegan. And, oh, good and for then you. I realize, yeah, good yeah. Then for I'm like, you. wait a minute, orca 
and all whales, all they do, they just eat other fish all the time. So I was like, fuck it. That's and, right. Uh, so, but I will tell you, I was eating a slice of meatball pizza at the time while I was watching this, <laughs> watching uh, this whale abortion. <laughs> gross. Ugh. <laughs> uh. So Orca, I mean, Orca flips out. He eats Keaton. It's a fun thing about the movie. It's a little more bloody than I expected in general. You know, there's more, more gore than I thought. Blood on the teeth. I mean, such for the 70s, man. Yeah. Let me tell you, man, I have come to love that Keenan Wynn. That guy shows up, and I'm I'm over the moon. Anytime he shows up. And that's part of my, like, you know, Jack Benny obsession. Like, Jack Benny was always obsessed with Ed Wynn. And and then I started paying attention to Keenan Wynn. And he's just always so fun. He's just one of the most fun guys ever. Yeah, I love seeing him I always place him with another uh, actor we're going to talk about today, who is uh, Jack Warden. Yeah, yes. Yeah. They kind of look similar. It's very similar energy, played similar parts. Oh, very good. Um, so, so Orca himself, like, you know, he, he loses his shit. He, uh, he eats, he Uh-oh. eats Keenan Wynn. <laughs> yeah, he's mad. He fucks up Bo Derek's foot. He's smashing the bow. He bites it off in a scene that well, they describe later. in the, that's he, later. Oh, yeah. well, he fucks it up first. first he just right. breaks yes. her foot. Yes, right. He gets a taste. Then he's like, I got to finish that. I'm yeah. going to save that for later and come back and finish yes. it. Yes. Uh, because he was not vegan, like I was thinking about doing that. So, but do you remember reading about that scene in the Golden Turkey Awards? When, yeah, you know, in 1980, and and them say, don't they say like he felt like a crunchy snack? So he went. <laughs> yeah, they, they say. Just, this, well, they, I can't, they have some it's some hilarious way of yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and then he stares down Richard Harris. They have the moment where Orca eye to eye is like, you know, th- this is the beginning. You and I. And Orca's so fucking cute. It's just hilarious because yeah. he's cute. Because yeah. he's a cute killer whale, black and white. They see, and so it is always hilarious. It, it can make me think. It's like if you made a movie about a panda bear, like running around killing people. They are the you panda know? bears of the sea. Exactly. Yes, they're adorable. Yeah. They're adorable. Yeah. Um, but they, but they, every line has to be telling you. I know you think they're cute, yeah. but oh, the bringer of death. They oh, call. they're more deadly they're like, than you. If you're nice yeah. to them, they they love they love you. They love people yeah. if you're nice to them. But they'll yeah. remember your face. They'll look at you. They'll talk to you. Um, they'll uh, tell you which way to go so they can fight you by putting their tails in the air and flipping like this way, like showing the direction. That was one of my favorite things in the movie. Later on, like Orca puts his tail in the air and flips it like, go this way. Yeah. Drive the boat this way. So, Orca's uh, very sympathetic. <laughs> But I got to say, at that point, I'm totally on Orca's side. I wanted to sure. kill all these people. Yeah. It reminded me of uh, Tom Laughlin's screenwriting tips from the 90s Billy Jack website. Do you remember that? I do. Like, I remember Obsessively that. reading all that stuff where he said, yeah, yeah act one, the hero or heroes have to suffer like heinous injustice so that the audience will root for them all the way through. Right. And he was saying, this is the guaranteed formula for success. And that's what he did in those first Billy Jack movies. That's right. He put in terrible improv comedy that the characters <laughs> had to sit and watch. Oh, they had to sit there and watch Howard Esman. Turns movie into this endurance <laughs> test. Yeah. To, to, can you believe they made fucking Billy Jack go through that, man? Those tired old sketches. Oh, oh man. Yeah. Brutal. So, uh, and then, of course, you know, he bombed with the master gunfighter and never made another movie again after that. So. Yeah. Wow. Well. 
but he was always advised. Remember, he was advising like Adam Sandler, don't be so gross. And yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, that was good. That yeah. was good. Yeah, you could go back and you, every day and check and see what's yeah. crazy. He, Tom Laughlin. He always today. had advice for the the industry. That was fun. That's right. Um, and then we have you know Will Sampson shows up as Jacob uh, Ulmach, who's your Native American who's got a lot of uh, experience with these whales and talks Found about things to say. Yes, making a small whale figure, filling it with bird livers, and then making piss water on it, as he says. <laughs> that will release the evil spirits sometimes. Yes. Um, oh, Sam- Samson, I wanted course, to see him do that so bad. Why did they show I that know, scene? man. Like, that would have been a great ending, like Harris remembers yeah. at the last minute. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Whip, whips his dick yeah. out. Like, <laughs> that would have been so great. And it works. The evil spirits release, and fr- he's yes. friends with Orca. They just live yes. in the North Pole. And they pole ride together. off together. Yeah. He rides they just them off into the, the North Pole. <laughs> yeah. Alternate end. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, Will Sampson became a star playing Chief in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And then. Uh, I also thought uh, Scott Walker, not the singer, as Al Swain, very good, the head of the Fisherman's Union. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a, an odd bit of trivia. Uh, both Will Sampson and Scott Walker also in uh, Dino De Laurentiis's The White Buffalo from the same oh, okay. year. Okay. Yeah. In White Buffalo, uh, Sampson plays Crazy Horse. Uh, Scott Walker plays a character named Jip Hookhand. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Um, and and we haven't mentioned this director, Michael Anderson, did some fun stuff. Yeah, L- Logan's yeah. Logan's Run, the fifties nineteen eighty four version that yeah. I was always obsessed with. I've never seen it. I've just always seen the. I've only ever seen it. clips. Right, same here. Yeah, me too. And yeah. uh, and he did the TV version of the Martian Chronicles, right. which I loved as I a kid. I loved oh, it. Made me read so the good. book. And I'll, I'll tell you what book. I didn't. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I didn't love that he yeah. did was the Doc. Savage movie from the 70s, Man of which was, That's oh, one of the most boy. boring things you can ever subject Man, yourself to. That yeah. coming on like WPIX and like, oh, this is going to be good. Uh, yeah, and that's then, it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh my god. It's like, oh, this is so Every, stupid. It's like George oh Powell. It's hot. It's so yes. Uh, yeah. His big his big breakthrough was the Dam Busters in 1955, which I'm mo- I became familiar with because clips of it appear in Pink Floyd: The Wall repeatedly. Oh, Pink's heavy. watching it on television. It just like All right. stream of consciousness comes up. And then uh, Second Time Lucky in 1984, which is a very odd teen sex comedy okay. with Diane Franklin as Eve in an Adam and Eve story. Uh, it's about God and the devil debating whether mankind is worthy of saving, which is, which is you know, a trope that appears in uh, other movies like The Story of Mankind and Night Train to Terror, mm-hmm. which uh, could mm-hmm. be an episode in itself, too, so... Yeah, that's true. Um, that's good. That, that's a really weird thing. And, and the three weird fucking movies still came out of that idea. Who do you think pushed for the fetus, the whale fetus on the deck? Like, was it De Laurentiis? I mean, was it to, Michael no, Anderson? Look, I mean, I he's got to make you. Everybody's yeah, got to make cry, you feel bad. Man. Yeah, 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 right, right. Yes. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Nobody cry right. when Jaws die. Yeah. I, I almost, you know, baby orca dying. Jesus, Mrs. Orca. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, people, people are gonna cry. God. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh, Harris. He also reveals that he and Orca are bonded because Harris's wife was killed while she was pregnant by a drunk oh. driver. Oh boy! Another oh. in a car accident. Another senseless, thoughtless act of greed. Yes, uh, so. heavy, very heavy, very heavy. And he reveals yeah. this while Mrs. Orca is like bloody on the beach, throwing up and dying. <laughs> Because Orca pushed her up there to say, look what you did, asshole. Oh, Orca. 
So uh, three highlights of Orca's rampage. Because they keep saying, listen, or you got to fight Orca on the water. He wants he wants yeah. to he wants a fair fight with you. So he uses he uses his whale song to shatter a wine glass like Ella Fitzgerald <laughs> on the Is It Live or Is It Memorex commercial. Great. He causes a Rube Goldberg like series of like damages that eventually blow up the oil refinery on this little fishing village island that they're on. Mm-hmm. And then, in the course of knocking Richard Harris's house into the ocean, he bites off Bo Derek's leg. <laughs> yes, which is hilarious. And again, pretty bloody. And then yeah, you, you yo, see him swimming stuff, away man. with it in yeah. his mouth. It's yeah. pretty funny, yeah. like a cigarette. Like, yeah, yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> and then finally, the locals are like, "Listen, you're out of here. You can't stay here. You got to go fight Orca on Orca's terms." So they set out. They sail north, and that's, that sets up the end of the movie. Orca. Um, He's going to take out the crew one by one, and he does. He eats Peter Hooten. And yeah. uh, I pictured him inside the stomach holding up Bo's leg uh, <laughs> like Pinocchio. <laughs> uh, Orca, like, he fucks around with the icebergs, and he he kills Will Sampson with falling ice. And yeah. Finally, Harris and Orca, they have it out in the water. Mono y huelo. Uh, you know, Harris has a harpoon. Orca's got teeth. Charlotte Rampling is on an iceberg. I loved the way that all looked, that North Pole shit on the icebergs yeah, and stuff. It would look super cool. Yeah, it was fun. Um, and then we see Harris die, and Orca just kind of swims. He just kind of swims off. Uh, he's wounded. Yeah. But we don't know if he lived or died because there was no Orca, too. Well, and 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 by the way, swims away to a great Morricone song oh, with a vocal, which yes. is awesome, amazing, uh, yeah. like Orca's theme. And then, uh, but I had never read this until researching. I was surprised I didn't know this that De Laurentiis did want to do King Kong versus Orca, supposedly. Oh, holy shit! He wanted to make a, a. How great would that have been? Uh, how could we, so would we ever I, stop crying? I mean, geez, oh my god! <laughs> the world oh, it's just a full drama, no death. fighting, yeah. just the two of them counseling each other yeah. over what they've been through. <laughs> they've been through a lot, man. Yeah, no kidding. But, but uh, uh, so I'm gonna say Orca lived because you know he yeah. was gonna have Kong come back. That's true. And he end, he ended up doing that weird. Was it King, King Kong, Kong lives? lives? Yeah, that weird thing. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by that. I yeah. even saw it with the heart transplant. Oh, I did. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. It was wild. Yeah, it was fun. So I hope they don't make an Orca two now. All right, Orca no, reboot. Nah, yeah, I don't. No. Yeah, yeah. I, I will not consider any new Orcas canon, as yeah. is said. So yeah, Orca. Yeah. Good. Orca. Good, good. time. Good yeah. time with Orca. Yeah. And a, and a really and a really good Morricone score. A really, really uh, an good. excellent one really actually. Good. Yeah. All right, so let's run through quickly before we get to the second feature, uh, some other Jaws ripoffs of the 70s. Mako, uh, uh, Mako Jaws of Death saw it, liked it. Saw it on the okay. CBS Late movie. Uh, okay. C- Claws from 1977 never saw it. Oh, yeah, right. Grizzly saw it. Uh, terrible, kind of loved it. Uh, just one called Jaws of Death from 77 never saw Tentacles okay. from 77 with John Huston. Yeah. Terrible. Boring. Tintorera Kill a Shark. That's a title I always remember. Yeah. 1977. Amazing. About a menage a trois between a woman and two men with this shark okay. going on in the background. <laughs> okay. Completely Weird. fantastic. If you haven't Amazing. seen it, Tintorera size yourself. 
<laughs> Barracuda, of course, you know, a masterpiece. I'm sorry, Barracuda, fuck. Uh, which was a movie that came out in 78. Pir Piranha, of course. Piranha, a great, yes. You know, yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. great Roger Corman, Joe Dante movies. Uh, yeah. Crocodile with Barbara Bach. Also saw it on the CBS Late movie. Although, mm -hmm. I mix it up with The Great Alligator, and I think maybe yeah. they're the same movie. Um, okay. Which I will check now. Uh, up from the Depths from 79. Uh, rented, didn't get through it. Yeah, I never saw it. Alligator, a great one from 1980. Oh, I Love went into the one. 80s. Yeah. Great White from 81, I don't remember. Great White Death, a documentary narrated by Glenn Ford from 1981. Not to be confused with the pre-Jaws documentary, Blue Water, White Death. Um, the Last Shark from 81, Never Saw, has a great poster of a girl just kind of like casually inside a shark's mouth while he's about to bite her. <laughs> uh, Devilfish, a.k.a. Monster Shark, uh, an Italian movie uh, that I've never seen, but it played on 42nd Street a lot, and I'm sorry I didn't see it. And then uh, Killer Crocodile from 89, which I just watched because uh, Severn Films put it out on Blu-ray. All right. And then uh, a couple of Jaws parodies. Bacala from 1975. It's an Italian spoof. That means cod. Gums from 76, which is horrific with Brother mm -hmm. Theodore. <laughs> Man, mm -hmm. Popular midnight movie briefly at the Elgin Theater. Uh, the opening scenes of 1941, of course, shot by Spielberg with Susan Backlighting, the same actress. And then Blood Beach, I would think, counts as a parody of Jaws. Um, I can see that. Yeah. With, you know, bit with the tagline. And line. a ripoff. Yeah. Before you, you, just when you thought it was safe to go back to the water, you can't even get to it. Yeah. So, uh, a, a horrible movie, by the way. So boring. So boring. But an ad that I saw on the late movie as a kid, and the ad came on, and I thought it was a joke. I remember yeah. laughing really hard yeah, seeing the ad and the girl getting pulled <laughs> yeah. under the sand. And, yeah. 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 You, what, yeah. Yeah. It was you good. Were like, uh, is it Friday? Because I must be watching Fridays. <laughs> it did. Yes, it did. I yeah. remember at the time thinking that. Yeah. All right. So Silly. let's get to uh, the bottom half of the bill here. So fine from 1981. Um, so fine. <laughs> oh, and is it good? This movie is good, so bad, fun. or ugly. Um, I enjoyed it, but it's bad. So I don't know what that yeah, is. Bad. Yeah, it's bad. I'm gonna say it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. I'm gonna. Yeah, okay. it's not funny enough. Yeah, it's not it, ugly, they, but it's bad. Yeah, yeah. It's, no, it's not ugly. It's less a coney. <laughs> We're gonna use the other one. So. Yeah, uh, Morricone's only American comedy. Yeah, uh, I almost couldn't believe that. I was yeah, like, they got to be missing yeah. something. Yeah, I was really surprised I by that. I was thinking about that with like Tangerine Dream doing Risky Business and stuff. Nobody tapped Mark. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and apparently Andrew Bergman, the director, he yeah. he was deliberately trying to right. imitate the Italian sexy comedies. So he went to more. But I, right. I was thinking about it. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that. That's a very specific thing that yeah. other comedies at the time weren't doing. No, I, no. I can't think of a lot of other big mainstream comedies that were trying to do the Italian sex farce nah, thing. I mean, Mickey and Maud, maybe a little bit. Um, that seems more French to me somehow. Yeah. This, no, you're the, right. The Italian no, like the thing real, is like, real broad, farcy, yeah, yeah. slapstick, yes. farting kind of stuff. Yeah. Yes, right. I don't know. Uh, and it's a genre I was... Uh, aware of at the time only through uh, staring at ads for Laura Antonelli movies, which were always playing in New York. 
I certainly remember as a, as a kid, late night cable watching Sex with a Smile with Marty Feldman. Oh gosh! And, oh, um, yeah. oh my god! The sensuous nurse with sensuous Ursula Andress. Yes, yeah. Um, I, I certainly saw a bunch of those movies on late night cable. Eventually, I did. Yeah, um, but they were you know huge huge hits in Italy and I guess elsewhere too. So. And, uh, and a very a very manic Morricone score. Very like you don't usually hear this. Like kind of kind of like starts with like a paper chase kind of theme yeah. and starts at a university. But a vi- but very kind of and manic then I, I kind of didn't notice it a lot, which is which is rare. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, so yeah, writer director Andrew Bergman. He co-wrote Blazing Saddles and then wrote and directed The In Laws. So he went into this with a lot of heat, as they say in your industry, Aaron. I mean, and two of the funniest ever, and just yeah. just revisited the in-laws with my kids. Oh who my gosh! Just, yeah, we're ju- we were just. I mean, but they just loved it. It's amazing how well it holds up. And then went through watching all other Andrew Bergman comedies, especially ones he directed. And yeah. gotta be honest with you, a lot of a lot of clunkers in there, yeah. man. We, <laughs> but, we like saw he was, that. We saw the Scout. In the theater together. The Scouts. <laughs> yeah, and that's... Uh, it, we watched... I thought my kids would like... We watched It Could Happen to You with right. uh, Nicolas Cage. But like, Never like, saw Because they yeah. love rom-coms. Oh, yeah. God. It was so dull. And... Um, Honeymoon in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. But but boy, man. I mean, Blazing Saddles and In-Laws. I mean, you're, pretty, you're, really. You're, you're on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah. You you did it. You know? But... Yeah. Uh, and then so fine... So it bombed at the box office. Um... And then he didn't direct again until The Freshman, which I remember thinking was a really funny movie, but I haven't seen it except one time. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. Um, he also, he wrote Oh God, You Devil, which is not funny, <laughs> and uh, Fletch, which is hilarious. So, yeah, adapted yeah. Fletch, yeah. Yeah, the guy's a guy's a pro, obviously. But, and it's um, interesting because it was like, you know, the thing when you watch Fletch now, it's like, this is so funny. The dialogue is great. Chase Chevy Chase is phenomenal. The horrible soundtrack, the '80s. It's probably like Harold Faltermeyer or something. It's a crazy electronic '80s wacky comedy soundtrack, right? With right, like yeah. you know, I need a man-sized man playing during the chase scenes and things like that. So you wonder, oh, right? Could could Morricone have elevated Fletch? <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, could have classed it up. Yes. Um. And then, you know, so watching, I saw this in the theater. Do you did, do you remember the first time you saw it? Oh, God, no. No, it would have been, a, it, no, this would have been a cable thing. Yeah. And and I certainly remember it coming out because the, yeah. the whole ad campaign, the whole thing of oh like the, the see-through God. jeans, How the butt jeans. How was that ad campaign? It was great. It was, it was amazing. Great. And I, I, yeah. Man, I really wanted to see it. And I associated it in my head with other Movies from the time of the decadent fashion industry, Eyes of Laura Mars, Looker, <laughs> wow, and, and was fascinated I, I never put by that all together of them until just now. I, wow. yeah. yeah, I always like there were a bunch of movies from that period. I was always fascinated with all of them, but especially this one, and yeah. couldn't wait to see it, and then saw it and was like, ah, it's kind of bored. Because I must say, the entire ad campaign was around the jeans that have plastic clear plastic panels so you can yes see yeah. butt cheeks uh, yeah. on them and uh which d- does not happen until 40 minutes into the movie well that's what I, shocked I, me i thought it was the the butt cheek jeans movie i was yeah. like god when are we getting to this the one gag of and, the whole and movie what's funny now when you see the jeans and it certainly didn't look this way then especially because i was 13 they're clearly just flesh-colored plastic patches on the back of 
designer yes. jeans. They're yeah, not yeah. actual see-through panels. Yes. That is true. That, that is true. Uh, but, you know, I heard a lot of guys demanded their money back <laughs> at the time. They were enraged. There were riots. People were. <laughs> we want Ryan O'Neill's real but butt cheeks. I, I, don't, I don't know why my mother let me go to see this, but she did. This was like I was starting to be allowed to see some R-rated movies. Right. Um, and I thought it was hilarious at the time. Yeah, I can uh, I can see that. I would have too. I would have too. Yeah. yeah, if I had been in the theater, yeah, I would have yeah. I would have loved it too. And yeah. I, I so I remembered it. I figured, well, it's probably not that good, but I remember it being this crazy fast-paced farce, you know, like an Italian movie, but again, probably like those actual Italian movies, most of them, it's really dull. Dull <laughs> really and slow. slow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it the whole thing is weirdly slow. Um and the weirdest slow aspect of this. So let's walk through the movie. So Fred Gwynn opens it up. He's the stuffy dean of uh, Chippenango State College. Uh, right. Here's a bit of trivia relevant to me and my 70 movies and we saw in the 70s co-host. Uh, was supposed to be shot at SUNY Purchase, but was not. Hmm. Which makes sense because it was uh, the schools they ended up using look like Ivy League colleges. Like what... A college like as this you know tweedy stuffy place should be, and right. purchases this ugly like late sixties brick monstrosity. Um, now we're alma mater. Uh, so Ryan O'Neill is Bobby Fine. He's an English professor. Andrew Bergman has a PhD in history and was an academic. So he based O'Neill's character on himself, not unlike Peter Bogdanovich in uh, What's Up Doc, using Ryan O'Neill as True. a stand-in. Uh, Jack Warden is his usual very funny self. Uh, everything he says, everything, every look is funny. He's Jack Fine, Bobby's father. He's a wheeler dealer in this failing business, fine fashions in the New York garment industry. But not given a lot to do. You got to no, say, Jack no. Warden always great. Not given a lot to no. do. And Ryan O'Neill, not super funny. No, not, not no, like no, uh, half hearted. Uh, just, yeah. just rewatch Paper Moon, and he was oh, so great in that. Brilliant. But uh, we just did also, on seventy movies. We did uh, What's Up Doc, and it's a masterpiece, and uh, one of the great comic performances of that era. Ryan O'Neill. But, but you know, it's funny because I've read, I just read that Alan Swibell book, mm-hmm. The Laugh Lines, and he has a whole chapter in there about trying to do a sitcom around Ryan O'Neill and Farrah Fawcett, uh, Good Sports, in like the oh, 80s. I remember, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And and he just said and he and he says flat out in there, Ryan O'Neill is not funny. He's, wow. So he yeah he he calls it out. He says wow. the guy's not funny, and he and unfortunately he's not funny here. But no. like I said, nobody is really given a, a ton ton no. to do. Yeah, I mean you do get the fun scene where he runs down the street with his ass out in yeah, the jeans, but it's you so, know. But it's, it's badly done. <laughs> it's not yeah, funny. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so Jack Warden, let's say, you know, the previous, now the previous year he had the role of his lifetime in used cars, which oh, yeah. also famously flopped. He played twins in that, uh, 81. He also appeared in, uh, <laughs> these are, here's some cable movies for you. The Great Muppet Caper, Carbon Copy, and Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. Wow. Yeah. I remember being mad that Carbon Copy remained in constant rotation until like 1992. <laughs> yeah. On HBO in the afternoon. This, by the way, so fine was apparently another. It w- was I can't remember the studio that made this, but it was. Pa- but anyways, it was Paramount. Like, go ahead. 
It was Paramount. It was another part of the 80s, let's make movies for sitcom. Right. Well, that was, we, it was Paramount's had their Magnificent Seven, and this was this was Warner Brothers, so they were like, all right, let's try right. this thing. There you go. We'll do yes, a cheap right, movie, right. and hopefully, yeah, we'll gamble on low-budget yeah. films. Yeah, right. Um, I'll tell you who is funny is Mike Kellen, who pops in and out as the uh, garment peddler. <sighs> Love that guy. I got. I had. Be, I got to be honest. I had to look him up. I was yeah. trying to remember. Like, oh yeah, who and uh, he's Mel. Not only from Sleepaway Camp, right? Yeah. And God told me to. I saw he was also yes the Larry Cohen and movie. Yeah, he's fun. He's also yeah, prominent yeah. in the and tons of sitcoms. Just yes. one of those guys you I recognize mean, real, from Barney Miller. Real, yes, total Barney Miller face. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's great. So, yeah, I did like seeing him. Jack Warden owes money to uh, mobster Mr. Eddie, who was played by Richard Keel, who had become a big star playing uh, the villain-turned-good-guy Jaws in The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker, the two big James Bond hits. Um, I'll say Keel is a better actor than I remembered. I also thought he had a voice That's like true. Andre the Giant, and he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. he's pretty good, um, except for... This is the weird part of this movie being slow. So he's supposed to be this this literally larger than life like wrecking machine, um, but so what he does is repeatedly he lifts up heavy objects like a pinball machine, a jukebox, a car, but he does it really slowly, and mm-hmm. he just kind of either drops them or just knocks them over. Like you never get the cartoony, right. like this guy can defy the laws of physics. He can throw people through windows and stuff. So that's yeah, part right. of like what doesn't work. Um, so you, you uh, know who else I liked seeing in here was Mariangela Malato. Yes, well, the she's Italian the female actress. Lead. Yeah, yes. Who who I always I was always obsessed with her. She's in all the Lena Wertmiller right, movies, right. but swept but away. I was, yeah. But the movie I was obsessed with her was in Flash Gordon. She's she's yes. in Flash Gordon and. Uh, has the line that's on the Queen soundtrack. I always remember her saying, "What do you mean, Flash Gordon approaching?" <laughs> which is, which has always been in my head for years. But uh, I think yeah, she's, she's awesome. terrible here, and I think she. I oh, hate God, to say yeah. this, I, she looked unwell or something. I don't know. I always thought she looked pretty good, but in in I don't know, man. I, I it's, it's, it's a yeah. I mean, she's yeah, she's not well. She's smoking eight hundred cigarettes and drinking red <laughs> That's wine. Like yeah, she's an Italian swept, actress of the late seventies, which I realized was you know seven years earlier at this point. And then I mean, you know, and again, I don't want to go down this road, but I did write she's no Laura Antonelli. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, and so the comic premise of this is that uh, she's Mrs. Eddie. She's the mobster's wife, and. She and Ryan O'Neill instantly are attracted to each other and kiss in uh, Mr. Eddie's disco. Again, another, like, slow motion. He eats a guy's gold chain. He throws a guy. It doesn't really (laughs) connect. (laughs) Um, And she ends up not just seducing him, but, like, forcing him to have sex with her in bed while Mr. Eddie is passed out. She hits him with a gun so he'll sleep through it. And then um, I will say I laughed out loud three times in this movie watching it this okay. time. All of them center on dropping unexpected f bombs. The first one, yeah, was there were a- some unexpected after F-bombs. after they kiss while well, in Mister Eddie's disco when Mister Eddie was Richard Keel uh, walks away. 
<laughs> Lyra, who's uh, Mary Angelo Mulatto, just says, I fuck around, which really yeah, made me laugh. Yeah, that was funny. That was funny, yeah. And then later... That was very unexpected. Yes. And then later, Jack Warden looks at uh, Lyra riding on top of Ryan O'Neill singing opera, and he goes, boy, I used to fuck like that. <laughs> and then the biggest one for me, although I fuck around really didn't make me laugh. The very end, they're in Venice, all dressed up on the gondolas. Yeah. And, and Jack Warden says, how long the street's been fucked up like this? <laughs> yeah. That was great. Very that funny. That was very funny. Yeah. That's Shit. the thing. The movie needs more sex, well, more F-bombs. Like, it, it needs so much jokes? more. Like, we, yeah, we need, just needs... watched Where's Papa on 70 movies. And it's, oh, God. I mean, that's, oh, of course, that I mean, that's a so work great. of fucking genius. But it's like, it's so loaded with dialogue that yep. is funny. And this is like long stretches of nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it really needed the volume turned up. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if he was trying to be classy. I don't know what the problem was. Well, but. I think that's what he, he said. The movie bombed because of the combination of the lowbrow ass jeans with his highbrow hopes for the comedy. So, you know, speaking of 80s cocaine and uh, how, what that would have been flying around the set, I was thrilled to find out that the model in the poster for the movie. Yes. Looking over his yeah. shoulder is T Tony Mooney wearing the butt jeans yes. and hugging Ryan O'Neill. And uh, she was the girlfriend of John Roberts, that notorious cocaine smuggler. Oh, guy. the guy Do who you, you uh, know Tom who, Cruise played who, in the movie? Or? American no. made? American made it? I don't know. No, Evan Wright, our mutual oh, yeah, friend Evan yeah, Wright, yeah, wrote yeah. a book about okay, cocaine yes. cowboy. Cocaine cowboy. And, that's right. Uh, okay. Yes. Right. Sure. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he was running around with his crew. Oh, and, can you imagine? Yeah. Leading to the yes, yeah. So, yeah. I'm sure it didn't help yeah. with the logic of the move. No. So, uh, so all this leads to yeah, Ryan O'Neill. He's wearing Lyra's clothes. He pops out the seat of his pants. He stuffs it with plastic, and then this launches this craze for. Designer jeans, which were the hot item in the late seventies, early eighties. Which is stupid. 80s. He rips his pants, yeah. and man, but it, he 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 squats down. You hear his pants rip, and he goes, "Oh!" But he's magically ripped holes, holes over both butt cheeks. Yeah. Not just a big not hole a over his yeah. asshole, yeah. which is what yeah. would have happened. Yeah. And then to solve that problem, he puts clear plastic in, like, <laughs> which not dissimilar to the infamous moment in Meatballs when uh, <laughs> a, a, a camper's shorts are yanked down yes. and he's and he's uh, covered in plastic and has apparently shit his pants. We, uh, Aaron and I discovered watching <laughs> a high-def version of Meatballs that there is a guy, when the campers pull the rival camp uh, Mohawks uh, pants down, there's a guy with bandages and ass wounds <laughs> naked and on plastic. camera. This plastic and wrap. Like he... It's insane. Like yeah. One of my missions with Team Movie Hell was to make the Meatballs ass man a phenomenon, and I'm still yes. working on that. So. And it it is a, one of the greatest arguments against high definition ever. <laughs> well, like things I, you this were is never where we supposed split to see on that one. Yeah, <laughs> yes, things we've been waiting our whole lives to see. Uh, the ass damaged guy in meatballs. So, um, so and then so the centerpiece of the movie is this TV commercial for the jeans, which is intercut with a montage of women walking around in them. And again, I mean, right. so every it's just guys falling over like slow. It's the telegraphed like no funny yes. slapstick 
It's the, it's the girl can't help it gag well, of that's it. walking look by. Look at the and... fucking girl can't help it. That was it. This is like the. Just the, the, the crippled version of that or something. A construction worker is yeah. drilling, and, and he sees the girl's ass, and then he hits the pipe that sprays water. But after three is, minutes of looking yes. back and forth at her in a phone booth. A guy yeah. is putting mustard on a hot dog, and he sprays it yeah. like, like cum. Uh, the Empire yeah. State Building erupts cum <laughs> from the top of it. Well, that's the thing. Uh, Why wouldn't they? Like, <laughs> Frank Tashlin, again, a genius. He did this in the 50s with The Girl Can't Help It. Leading to a fucking milkman squirting cum out right. of his milk bottles. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And this sex farce from the 80s. Uh, yeah. Totally unplanned moment in Girl Can't Help. <laughs> well, it. That I was mean, real. You was, know that really happened. It was serendipity not... that he caught it on camera. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. So, yeah. yeah. That's what made him such a great director. Yes. Yeah. And that's the big. But that commercial was the big. You know, which I always love 80s commercial bits like that. Yes, but, yeah. but that in every review, that was always like, oh, my God, this is the yeah. funniest thing ever. Yeah. I was crying. And the song yeah, is really know. good. The jingle, the you know, the, the song is really good. good. It holds up very but that well. Was, that was yeah. the big set piece of the movie. That's for sure. It's like, so and fine, then, so fine. It's like, don't you want to And then we just the do vine? opera shit. And then we just do opera <sighs> shit. Which for I remember minutes. as a kid thinking was hilarious. Oh, God. Oh man! <laughs> so What's going on? Uh, yes, they go to see Othello, the opera version of Shakespeare's Othello, and Lyra is an opera singer. The uh, lead diva on stage falls ill. She takes over, and then Mister Eddie shows up. And after a another slow motion, unfunny, Mister Eddie uh, in the like hamburger joint off campus to walk like a man. Going on and on, uh, and then just kind of lifts up and literally just puts the pinball uh, uh, jukebox back down. Yeah, and it's like it's like there's like a sex farce and like nothing. Else. I was waiting like, oh, who's gonna get their the butt ripped off their right. costume? And now yeah. everybody's ripping their yeah. pants off. And yeah. Nothing, no. nothing, <laughs> no big farce moment, no payoff for that. No. Yeah, no. you know. He must have just had that one gag in there, and and then they must have centered the whole ad campaign around it. Yeah. And he, yes, he must have thought, no, 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 this is going to be this classier. It's like the glow in the dark condoms thing from that. Uh, oh, very much. From, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. I yeah. remember this episode. Yes. I yeah. do think there is a so, f- skin deep. There's another. There is a funny idea that he has, which is to recreate. The bedroom farce on stage at the opera, where Ryan O'Neill is, is once again hiding under the bed uh, of 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 the woman, and she's but this whole thing is being performed in front of an audience who somehow don't right. see Ryan O'Neill as he keeps sticking his head up right. under the bed. Right. You yeah. know, nothing comes of it, and there's no there's nothing funny. Yeah. There's no payoff to that idea of like repeating a bedroom farce on stage in front yeah. of an audience, but it is a yeah. funny idea, I guess. Yeah. So yeah. and they're singing uh, lyrics like you know he's like I'm gonna kill you like you know that that's what I think I thought was funny because we see the English translation on the screen um, right yeah right uh, two gags I thought were fun oh how about Paulie Walnuts is one of the uh, henchmen one of Mister Eddie's oh, that's henchmen that's fine yeah mm-hmm. um, but I thought the the henchman waving Mister Eddie out of his parking spot like they were an air, airport crew. Was funny. I thought the black doll getting scared by Mr. Eddie and turning white was funny. But it's like, why? Uh-huh. We should have a hundred of those every five minutes. But yeah, uh, and then it just kind of fizzles out at the end, lead to Venice, and that was it. So, so yeah, bad. 
Not, not did quite. You, no, did you look no. up any? Did you look up any good reviews? Um, I, did you? I mean, I saw I, like I found, the New York Times gave it like you know Janet Maslow was like, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, she 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 liked it yeah, except yeah. for its unpleasant attitude toward its female characters, every single one of whom is made out to be sexually predatory. That was her. That yeah, was her one right, criticism. Yeah. And then, and then I watched the sneak previews episode. Oh shit! I wish I had. Uh, Damn it! Because I remembered yeah. at the time. So I remember the clip of him yeah. running down the street and going, yeah. "Oh, this movie's gonna be funny." Yeah. Here was the lineup for that week. Here's what they reviewed: So Fine, Gallipoli, Catalani, and Little Britches. <laughs> wow! Very unusual western. They said. Uh, True Confessions. Wow. Rich and Famous. Always obsessed with that movie. Yeah. Jacqueline Bisset. And uh, the dogs. Of the yeah. Right. That's right. Came out of and the dogs. Yeah. The dogs of the week were uh, the Kinky Coaches, Pom Pom Girls, Pussy Cats, yes, and a hard way to die. And uh, what's a hard way to die? No fucking idea. Oh, no man. idea what it was, and couldn't find it uh, oh. on IMDb. And they both they both were basically like, eh. Uh, uh, Ebert said good moments, but a bad movie about right. so far. Right. You know. Yeah, that about sums it up. Yeah, I'm with you. Waste of time. And boy, <laughs> yeah. that Ryan O'Neill. I've been reading about him. That guy beats up a lot of people. He's, <laughs> he's not a, a not a good guy. Yeah, no, he's not a good guy. And it's funny that he had like this persona left over from from what's up, Doc, as this gentle professor. Oh boy, it's not a whack. He's going around beating up everybody. Yeah. And his no next kidding. his next movie, of course, was Partners, which we uh, have paid tribute to on this oh, show. Oh yeah, yeah. Richard Keel's next movie was. Uh, the way too late Hudson Brothers horror spoof hysterical. Okay. Which All have right. you I have seen that. Have you seen that? I don't think I have. No. I don't oh, think I have. Wow. Yeah, weirdly, that ended up on cable like in the early 2000s, and I watched it. Yeah. Wow. 83. The Hudson Brothers were f like finished by 75, I think. So, anyway. So, uh, that's it. We did it. Morricone, Arrivederci, Il, Il Maestro. The greatest. The greatest, the greatest yes. of all time. The tops. Yeah. Tops Bernard Herrmann for me. Top, like, all, all my favorite. Like, the, the, the absolute tops. Never got to see him. Damn. Rest in peace, Morricone. <laughs> That's it. So, uh, our next episode Let's... in two weeks, I think we're going to finally... Uh, because Ben has figured out how to deal with uh, people who don't have microphones. We're going to finally have Alan McDonnell on to talk about... Oh, uh, nice. Um, Dubidio and the Germs movie, What We Do is Secret. All right. And then two weeks... And Alan was there, man. He, he was, was a there. punk rock guy. He was, a, yeah. he was there. He was he there. He give us the real dirt. <laughs> the real germs. <laughs> Will we imitate him during the interview? Oh, that's man. the question. I, you know, I... <laughs> That's a, this is a, this is an important question because <laughs> yes, it's like our fa our favorite thing in life may be to imitate Alan. Yeah, any time I have imitated Alan to him, it has not landed well. <laughs> Could this be our first guest that storms off the show in a rage? And you know, Could there's there's an entire um, gays in the military song about Alan that ends with me imitating him. <laughs> oh God, called Tiger Cage. It's on Spotify. I yeah. would. I was interviewed about him on NPR once and imitated him in the interview, and they used it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah. So he's heard me do it before, but yeah. Well, there's also there's a really good there's a song called uh, 20 Years in the Hole" that's about Alan's book, another gays in the military song that does not contain oh, an man. imitation of him. He loves that Can't, song. 
So. Can't wait. Can't wait to get that guy here. Punk out. All right. So who's going to say our famous line here? You say. All right, I will. Crick, well, get off the pot. No, no, for more Coney, do it with the Italian oh, accent. Yeah. Crack! Well, get off of the pot! Hey! Hey! Bonjour! Hey. Alright. Alright. Thank you, Ben. Nice. Thank you, Eric. Good. Thanks, guy. Thank you.